Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Well, hey, y'all. Welcome to No Limits Church. We're continuing our series that we're simply calling Different today. But before we get into that, just let me say... Welcome to all you guys who joined us at church today, the best place to be on a Sunday morning. I love that you guys showed up in person, even though we're in the midst of this thing going on where people don't want to do that sort of thing, because I can tell you there's nothing like being at church in person, worshiping God together. Amen. If you're joining us online, I want to say hey to you too. The Word of God is great even whenever you hear it online, but if you ever have a chance to join us in person, I want you to come join us in person because it's what the Bible tells us to do. That's called being obedient. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Kate, and I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we have a passion for making a difference in the lives of others by helping you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. And if you've been through our growth track, you know that the primary way we help people know God is through our Sunday services, right here, what we're doing right now. And this series that we're in is kind of like the poster child for fulfilling that mission, which brings me to the core scripture for this series. And it's found in John chapter 14, verse 9. And Jesus replied, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So here's what we learned through that scripture. If you're filling in your message notes, which I highly encourage you to do, how many of you guys want the word of God planted deep in your heart? That's what those message notes are for. for. Pull out your pen, pull out your paper, fill in those blanks. I did that for you to help you not to make you feel like you're in school. If anybody needs a message notes, we have some extra ones laying around on the chairs. If you raise your hands, I'm sure somebody will pass one to you. But here's what we learned through this scripture. God is revealed through Jesus. If we want to know God, then we got to get to know Jesus. And luckily, there are four books of the Bible dedicated to the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And through this series, we're going to travel through the book of John and observe the way of Jesus. And here's what we're going to find out. The way of Jesus is different than the way of the world. And you know what? The way of Jesus might be different than what you even heard at church all these years growing up. And the reason that happens is because we often get into our own plans and our own ideas about what it looks like to follow Jesus. But we're going to get a course correction through this series by getting into the Word of God and finding out what it looks like to follow Jesus. So go ahead and look at somebody next to you and say, get ready for different. So last week we went through John chapter 1 and we discovered the Jesus way to reach people. A little bit different than the church's way to reach people. But we learned two things. Number one, to follow Jesus I must embrace grace and truth. We have a tendency to want to embrace one or the other. Like some are on the grace side of things and they believe that you should never say anything to upset people, even if it's the truth. And then there's others who are on the truth side of things and like to use truth to beat people up. Right? But to follow the example of Jesus, we have to become masters at bringing the two together. And here's what this looks like. This is Cade's words right here. (laughs) When sharing truth is motivated by love, go for it. Otherwise, shut it. All right? Here's the second thing we learned last week. Number two, to follow Jesus, I must use spiritual gifts to reach people. And when I left church last week, the Holy Spirit spoke on the inside of me. and He said, Cade. That was a great introduction to spiritual gifts. Now I need you to spend the entire Sunday, next Sunday, talking about spiritual gifts. And here's why. My entire church needs to know how to use spiritual gifts to reach people in the season that's coming up. I don't need just the pastors to know. I need everybody to know how to use these gifts. 
And you know, I used to plan my messages out about three months in advance. Uh, last year kind of ripped that to shreds, just like you guys probably recognize at work. I know I talked to Shalina about this. We're both planners. We both had to rip up our planner last year just because the season that we're in doesn't allow you to plan in advance. I'm still a planner, though, so I had my plan for this Sunday. Like, we were going to get into John chapter 2 and keep working through the book of John. The Holy Spirit's like, nope, that's not what we're doing. So we're going to be obedient today. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts, and it's good stuff. So let me set the foundation for understanding spiritual gifts, and this starts at the very beginning of John chapter 1. And it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. To understand what's going on here, we got to jump down to verse 14, which says, The Word became flesh. Oh, Jesus, right? We're talking about Jesus here. And He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen to me. The Bible is not just a good book. It is Jesus in book form. How cool is that? The Word of God is Jesus, and He's been here from the very beginning. All things were made through Jesus. Life comes from Jesus, which means that life comes from the Word of God. And when I was asking Jesus in prayer, I was like, how do you want me to teach this message? This is where He told me to start, right here in John chapter 1. And He said, if my people do not settle in their hearts that the Word of God is me, they will never be able to follow me. Did you catch that? If we do not settle in our hearts that the word of God is Jesus, then we will never be able to follow Jesus. In other words, we all need to settle the fact that the word of God is truth, not science, not education, not research results, not what your grandma told you growing up. No, the word of God is truth. And sure, all those other things can contain some truth, right? There's some truth in there, but there's nothing except the word of God that gets it 100% right every time. Nothing. The Word of God is the only thing that's 100% truth, so if something else disagrees with the Word of God, guess what? It's a lie. It's a lie. It doesn't matter if the most respected scientist has come to another conclusion that comes against the Word of God. Guess what's right? The Word of God, not the science. And it doesn't matter if your professor at college tried to convince you that their way was better than the way that you find in the Word. Your professor was wrong because the Word of God is truth, period. Can somebody say period? Period. Done. If you don't settle in your heart that, if you don't settle this in your heart, you're going to be tossed here, you're going to be tossed there, you're going to be confused, and you're going to live your life frustrated because you just don't know where to go. You don't know what to believe. And it's only because you haven't settled the fact that the Word of God is 100% truth every time it's right. And we've come to a really sad place in America where science is exalted above the Word of God. Higher education is exalted above the Word of God. And get this, this is crazy. Sin is exalted above the Word of God. That is crazy. And you can follow along if you want. I mean, that is your choice to make. But here's what's going to happen. When you find your way to eternity, you know what you're going to find out? Oh, by golly, the Word of God was truth all that time. Can you believe that? And you know what you're going to be responsible for? Everybody you misled by embracing something other than the true Word of God. You are going to be responsible for leading somebody in counterfeit truth if you don't embrace that the Word of God is 100% truth. Y'all, this is Jesus talking through me. I had no intention of sharing this today and being that bold about it, but he wants you to know this. He wants you to embrace it, but not just embrace it. You got to settle it in your heart. And here's what we got to settle in our heart. The word of God is absolute truth. If you agree, say amen. All right. If you're still on the fence about this, I release the power of God to renew your mind right now and erase all the lies of the enemy. God, shine your light of truth on the inside of all of us and let us see that your word 
is truth. And we honor your word this morning and we love you. All right. Now we're ready. Everybody ready? Okay. We're ready to follow the way of Jesus by using spiritual gifts, not just at church, but in our daily lives. Does anybody get nervous about spiritual gifts? You can be honest. Just raise your hand. This makes me a little bit nervous. All right. That's cool. It's okay to be nervous. Usually that means you're about to learn something good. Now, you probably noticed that the American church as a whole is, is weak in the area of spiritual gifts, and really even here at No Limits. You know, we see them occasionally, but we should be seeing them all the time, all the time. The problem is we've come to believe that we're so sophisticated that we don't need them to reach people, right? We got our lights, and we got our sound, and we got our good-looking pastor. I mean, what else could we need? That's, that's it. On top of this, we're kind of obsessed with being normal, Right? We don't want uh, anyone to be bothered by what we do. And spiritual gifts are a little bit hard to understand, so we neglect them in an effort not to run people off. But we're actually running people off by not embracing spiritual gifts. I mean, if Jesus needed spiritual gifts to reach people, who are we to say that we don't need spiritual gifts to reach people? So let's go through the nine spiritual gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as we work through these, I'm going to give you an example from the life of Jesus when he used these spiritual gifts. This is how he told me to teach it to you. It's going to make a big difference. Here's the first one, the word of wisdom. You know, wisdom can be defined as the proper use of knowledge. In other words, wisdom enables you to take what you know and apply it in the right way. We live in the information age, so we all know a lot of stuff, but not very many people know how to apply their knowledge in the right way. Anybody notice that but me? You see, the problem is, without wisdom, knowledge is pretty much worthless. I mean, even, even eight years of college, you gain all this knowledge, but if you don't have wisdom and you don't know how to apply what you learn, it's worthless. It's worthless. And when it comes to this spiritual gift called the word of wisdom, this is what enables you to take what you know from the Bible and use it in the most effective way. So let's look at an example of Jesus operating in this gift. This is one of the many times that the Pharisees, the religious people, were trying to trap Jesus with their knowledge of the Word of God, right? Their knowledge. This is even a question people are still asking today, trying to skirt their way around the issue. Take a look. It's found in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? This is a scripture you don't see much in church these days, and I'm going there. But Jesus better get some wisdom, because no matter how you answer this question, somebody's going to be mad. Here's what he says. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record from the very beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Well... That wasn't good enough for the Pharisees because they had more knowledge to throw at them. Take a look. Here's what they said next. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Hmm. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. This is the word of wisdom at work. Jesus knew what the Bible said, and he knew the proper application of the Bible. He knew that divorce was permitted by the law of Moses, but he also knew that it was not God's best and will never be God's best. 
And this one still rings true today. If you've been divorced for any reason other than because your spouse was unfaithful, get this. Hear me out. God doesn't hate you. God is not mad at you. Release that. He doesn't want you living in regret. Just let that go. But you've probably already figured out, well, that wasn't God's best. It didn't fix everything like I thought it would, right? And my new spouse has more problems than the last one. If you want God's best for your marriage, you work it out. You work it out. And I don't have time to get into that today, but if you're if you need some help working things out, we have several couples in this church who will pair up with you and help you walk you through those things. All you got to do is let us know, hey, we need some help, and we'll walk through that with you. All right, next spiritual gift, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is different than the knowledge that you obtain by school or by reading a book. The word of knowledge is something that comes supernaturally. Supernaturally. It's when you, it's when you know something by the Spirit of God that you could not have known otherwise. And the Holy Spirit gives you this gift to reach people. He actually gives you all of these gifts to reach people. The word of knowledge is not so that you can know everybody's dirty secrets. Can I get an amen? Because the church kind of got off on that one. The word of knowledge is not so that you can look smarter than everybody else around you. It's not for your fame. It's not for your fortune. It's not for you to exalt yourself. The purpose of this gift is to help you lead people to Jesus. That's it. That's the only purpose. And here's an example of Jesus using this spiritual gift. John chapter 1, verse 47, as they approached, Jesus said, Now there is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know this about me? Nathaniel asked, because this was their first time meeting. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this? Just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree, you're going to see greater things than this. So Jesus knew these specifics about Nathaniel because of the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. And all it took was Jesus simply knowing that Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. That's all he had to know to lead Nathaniel towards Jesus. How cool is that? Can you see how effective this can be and how simple it can be? You just see somebody sitting under a tree. You tell them you saw them sitting under a tree. And they're like, wow, you must really know God. That's awesome. Let's move on to the next one, the gift of faith. And first of all, we got to clear up that the gift of faith that's talked about here in 1 Corinthians 12 is different from the faith that enables you to believe in Jesus Christ. Because God has given us all the faith that we need to believe in Jesus Christ and receive our salvation. But this gift of faith is what causes you to kind of to receive, suddenly receive something from God. You just suddenly, like maybe you've been asking for healing for years, and then one day all of a sudden just this faith rises up on the inside of you, and you reach out and you grab it, and you get healed. In other words, the gift of faith is not something that you can work up. It's just something that shows up. All of a sudden, it is a gift of faith. All of a sudden, it's just there. And Jesus talks about this in Luke 17. He says, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted into the sea, and it would obey you. So notice that Jesus referred to this faith as a seed. He did not say you have to plant it first, wait for it to grow, and then you will have a tree of faith. That's not what he said. He said the seed of faith is what causes the promises of God to grow in your life. But it comes to you as a seed. The seed is a gift. You can't make a seed. You can't grow a seed. The seed is given to you. And some of you have been in the garden trying to work up faith for something you're believing God in your life. You've been working hard, too, trying to work that faith up. And all you've been needing to do is ask God for the gift of faith. God, will you give me the gift of faith? So he gives you that seed, and you watch the promises of God grow in your life. That's good stuff. Let that settle in for a minute. That's good. All right, next spiritual gift, gifts of healings. We all know that Jesus healed people. 
a lot of people. And when you dig into the details of those healing stories, you find out that sometimes people were healed because of their faith. And other times they were just healed because Jesus was operating in the gift of healing. So not all healing takes place, though, because of the gift of healings. Some people think you have to go to a service where this is operating to get healed. There's so many different ways to get healed. So many different, sometimes the gift of faith is what causes you to reach out and receive your healing. Sometimes it's a word of wisdom that enables you to apply the word of God that you know and receive your healing by applying the word of God. But however it comes, there's no bad way to receive healing. There's no bad way <laughs> to receive healing. I don't know. Is there? <laughs> no. Here's an example of Jesus using the gift of healing. Matthew 9, 35, then Jesus went about teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So when operating in the gift of healing, it doesn't matter if the person has faith to be healed or not. They're just healed because you're operating in the gift of healing. What an awesome gift to have. Remember how I told you that these gifts are to enable you to reach people? Can you imagine how you could reach people with the gift of healing? Here's the next one, working of miracles. So a miracle is something that's humanly impossible, but super easy for God. (laughs) No big deal for God. And the Bible is full of miracles. The Red Sea party, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And the only people who have a hard time believing in miracles is people who don't believe in God. The working of miracles was actually one of the first spiritual gifts that Jesus used in his ministry. It's when he turned the water into wine at a wedding celebration. So they had run out of wine, which was a big problem because it could make the groom and his family look really bad because they were the ones who were supposed to provide that for the wedding. So Jesus's mom, who was close to the groom, came and asked him, Jesus, you got to do something about this. You got to do something about this. So Jesus had the servants at the wedding go fill six water pots with water, and they each contained 20 to 30 gallons each. That's going to be a lot of wine. So here's Jesus with these six huge water pots of water. I want you to take a look at the screen and see for yourself what happens next. I'm ready, Father. Some out and serve it to the master of the banquet. Sir. 
music. Stop the music. Everyone, listen. I have something I would like to say. I would like to address the bridegroom and the bride families. At every wedding I've ever overseen, they serve the best wine first. And then, when the people have drunk freely, much later in the feast, they serve the poorer wine, the cheap stuff. <laughs> because by then, who is going to notice? <laughs> Am I right? But you, you have chosen now to serve the best wine I have ever tasted. Let us thank them for this unnecessary but honorable gesture. Usher, son of Rafi and Dinah, to Sarah, daughter of Abner and Hila, be as pure and as fruitful as this wine. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the fruit of the vine. To Asher and Sarah. Is something wrong? Yes. I was. So he didn't just make wine, he made like the best wine. And this trips some Christians up because they're like, why would Jesus make wine? The people were already drunk. Well, I don't know. I guess God likes to have some fun. That's, a, that's the only explanation I have for that. But this is what you call the working of miracles. That's what Jesus did. Jesus operated in this gift often. He fed the 5,000. He did all kinds of things. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He worked in miracles all the time. And we should be too. Bring some water up here. No, I'm just playing with you guys. All right. <laughs> Here's the next one, prophecy. And prophecy is a bit misunderstood in the body of Christ. We think of it as the telling of future events, which it is, but it often gets misused because sometimes people say they have a prophetic word when it's really just their own delusion. But here's how we know if it's a prophetic word from God. In 1 Corinthians 14, 3, it says, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. So did the prophetic word strengthen you? Did it encourage you? Did it comfort you? If it doesn't pass one of those three tests, then it probably was not the gift of prophecy at work. And for the past year or so, God has been leading me to start writing books. And then not too long ago, I went to a church service where the pastor prophesied to me. He says, Cade, you will write books and people will read them. And the only person that I'd ever told that I was thinking about writing books, because it's kind of like, this was my top secret. Beth was the only one that knew. I didn't even know this pastor that well. And then he said that. That definitely encouraged me in something that God had already been speaking to me. But not all prophecy gives you the warm fuzzies. I hate to break that to you. If you think of things that strengthen you, it hurts a little. Like if you want to get stronger physically, you got to go to the gym and push through the pain. 
or be tortured by Darla as your physical trainer, as I remember. Most of the prophecies we hear from Jesus in the Gospels are there to strengthen us. Jesus prophesied that the apostles would desert him. That's not a very encouraging prophecy, but it was a strengthening prophecy because I believe he said these things so that after they happened, the apostles would think back to, Jesus already knew this would happen, and he stuck with us, so he's going to, be, he's going to stick with me now, even though I've already made that. That's why he did that, to strengthen him. And Jesus also prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. That's not a very encouraging prophecy, but it was a strengthening prophecy. Because then when it happened, the people were like, Jesus said this would happen. So that means it's not over yet. So all prophecy exists to either strengthen you, encourage you, or comfort you. And you should run every prophecy through this test to determine if it's a true prophecy from God. And here's the next spiritual gift discerning of spirits. So we live in the physical realm. The physical realm was created by the spiritual realm, which means that the spiritual realm is superior to the physical realm. Yet we get so caught up in the physical realm that we forget that the spiritual realm even exists. Anybody but me. This spiritual gift, discerning of spirit, is what helps you know how the spiritual realm is affecting the physical realm. For example, when this gift is active in your life, you can clearly see that the news cycle, day in and day out, is controlled by a spirit of fear and a spirit of deception. And you can also tell that mainstream entertainment is controlled by a spirit of lust and a spirit of violence. Without the ability to discern what's going on in the spirit, you're completely unaware of these things, and you end up listening to the news. You don't even realize what's going on, and you're filled with fear and deception. You don't even know it. And then you watch these movies and these TV shows that have no other purpose than to pollute your mind. And you think, oh, it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. But it's because you're not discerning of spirits and what's really going on. And it's not because you're a bad person. Like, I'm not trying to condemn anybody here today. I just want to help you get to a place where you desire the ability to discern spirits so that you can protect yourself and protect your family. That's what this gift is for. Jesus used this gift many times. This is how he knew when a demon needed to be cast out of somebody. But let me tell you, one of the most shocking, I want to tell you the story of one of the most shocking times when Jesus used this gift. He was prophesying to his disciples that he would soon suffer under the hands of the religious leaders and he'd even be killed. And then on the third day, he would rise again. He was telling his disciples this, prophesying. And one of his disciples, Peter, pulled him aside and he said, heaven forbid, Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. Jesus' response is shocking. He turned to Peter and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Whoa, this isn't the kind and politically correct Jesus that, you know, we make him out to be. This was kind of rude. I mean, who calls their friend Satan? Who does that? Well, Jesus did. Jesus was using the gift of discerning of spirits. He knew Peter's comment was not coming from the spirit of God, but from the spirit of deception. So he was actually speaking to that spirit. He was not speaking to Peter. We've got to learn how to use this gift. Last year revealed how many Christians are totally unaware that this gift even exists. They couldn't see evil right in front of their face. They just couldn't even see it. It's like they couldn't see it. And if we can't see it when it's so blatant and so right in front of our face, how will we ever know when one of our friends is being controlled by that spirit of deception and trying to mislead us? We have to be able to discern these things. 
And if you want this gift, you simply say, God, I receive the gift of discerning of spirits. Open my eyes and let me see what's going on in the spiritual realm. And he will. He's for you. All right, two more gifts to go. Here's the next one. Different kinds of tongues. This is a controversial subject. Woohoo! I like those. That's fun. You know, entire church denominations were formed because they were either for this or against this. What a shame. I mean, what a bummer that the church has allowed such division over a topic like this. It's just, ugh. I know this gift seems weird, but are all the spiritual gifts just a little bit weird? I mean, if we're going to believe through prophecy that God can let somebody know what's going to happen in the future, surely we can believe that God could let somebody speak in a language that they don't even understand. Surely. And if you read about speaking in tongues throughout the Bible, there's absolutely no doubt that this is a spiritual gift. I don't know how churches are getting around that. They're ignoring a lot of things. And it could be the most powerful gift. That's what it got me to think whenever I was preparing. This has to be one of the most powerful gifts of the Spirit because the enemy works so hard to get Christians upset about this gift. Even Jesus told us about this gift. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons and they will speak with new tongues. And then this, this was fulfilled after his resurrection, shortly after. In Acts 2.4, it says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The question is, why? Like, why speaking in tongues? Why does God want me to speak in a language that I don't understand? Why? 1 Corinthians 14.2, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Speaking in tongues enables you to pray effective prayers. Have you ever prayed in English and you end your prayer and you're like, well, that sucked. Like that probably didn't help anybody because you didn't know what to pray for. That'll never happen when you have the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. When you speak in tongues, your prayer is always effective. It's always spot on. And you're speaking forth mysteries, things you don't even know to pray about, but the Holy Spirit knows and he's praying those things through you. Because for things to happen in this world, it has to happen through us. We have to open our mouth and we have to say something. What a cool gift to have that I don't even have to know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit will rise up and speak through me in a language that I don't even understand. But things are happening whenever I'm speaking in tongues. This gift is awesome. No wonder Satan doesn't want us to use this gift. Can you imagine if every one of us used this gift every day, how much destruction we could do to the kingdom of darkness? When we speak in tongues, it's like shooting arrows out of our mouth at the enemy. It's awesome. It's an awesome gift. And we should... Love it and embrace it. Now, I do want to point out that the scripture says that speaking in tongues is not to speak to men, but to God. So although it'd be nice to use this gift on the mission field to talk to the people that you don't know their language and speak in their language, there's no scripture that uh, lets us know that that's possible with the gift of tongues. It would be really cool, but there's no scriptural backing for that. This is to speak to God. This is your prayer language. So Coonrod, I'm sorry, man. You're going to have to put in the work to learn Spanish. <laughs> I'm going to give you a chance to receive this gift of speaking in tongues at the end of service today. But before we do that, there's one more gift that I got to show you. And that's number nine, interpretation of tongues. So speaking in tongues is primarily a gift that you're going to use in your own prayer time between you and God. Remember, you're speaking to God. But sometimes you're led to speak in tongues in front of others. And when this happens, there should be an interpretation of the tongue. In 1 Corinthians 14, 6, it says, If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? 
In other words, if I showed up every Sunday and just spent 30 minutes speaking in tongues before you, it wouldn't help any of you. You'd probably leave more confused than you were before. Might be easier for me, though, because I wouldn't have to prepare a message, right? But that doesn't mean that nobody should ever speak in tongues in front of people. But if they do, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. In other words, for tongues to be helpful in a church service, it must be paired with the interpretation of tongues so everybody in the room can understand what was just said. It makes sense, right? Imagine that. God's practical. He wants us to understand. However, when you pray in tongues, when it's just between you and God, there's no need for an interpretation. You just go at it, and you pray in tongues, and you speak forth those mysteries, and you say, thank you, God, that I had the gift of praying in tongues. I know that things changed, and my prayer was effective. So go ahead. Destroy the kingdom of darkness by praying in tongues every single day. All right, well, if you gave your life to Jesus today, we celebrate with you. That is the best decision that you can ever make. And we want to walk out that journey with you, but we can't walk it out with you if we don't know. So we set up an easy way for you to tell us. Just text us at 918-373-9883 to say, I received Jesus today. We'll text you back and we'll help you with the next steps. And we, we want to be there for you. So please let us know. And I do have an update for you guys today from our Mexico missionary. It's been a little while since I've given you one. But in case you don't know, we support a ministry in Mexico by sending $1,000 every month to support that ministry. We were even able to go above and beyond last year by buying them a new truck. And that was just like the coolest experience ever. I'm excited for what God's going to do this year. Because like, he seems to top it every year. It's like, ah, what are you going to do through us this year? Because that was awesome. But when it comes to the COVID shutdowns, things were really strict in Mexico. And... Um, Thankfully, it's starting to let up, and they're letting people come back to church. And this past Sunday, they had more than 50 in attendance at their service. They haven't seen that since before COVID, so they're really stoked about that. And not only that, but they had three new members join their church that Sunday, and they had two people commit to be baptized that same Sunday. I mean, it's just a good experience. But yeah, let's give God praise. Amen. And I want you guys to know that you are a part of what goes on in Mexico through your giving. It's really cool to be a part of that. And so thank you on behalf of Mexico. Thank you for your generosity. I know you guys don't get to see those emails that I get from Ben, but he sends me an email about every week and it's about the length of a book and I really have to commit to reading it, but it's always good stuff in there. <laughs> if you're ready to give today, you can give by, and you're giving by cash or check, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. And of course you can give online anytime today, tomorrow or whenever by visiting nolimits.fyi. There you'll find a giving button. You tap that. It'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.